Welcome to Sidebar. We've got another two-man sidebar. Two-woman. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I should have been more specific. We've got the two-woman hosts this two time Two girls, around. one Trump. <laughs> Vedahi and Laura here to talk to you about another brilliant move by Trump's <laughs> team of attorneys. This is involving the trials around the Capitol riots and what was basically an epic civil procedure fail by Trump's legal team. Oh, boy. And this guy just hires the best lawyers. We're going to have we're gonna have fun today. We're going back to civil procedure, probably my least favorite class in law school. Well, I don't know. Maybe not my absolute least favorite, but it was, it was pretty Thankfully, bad. Andy is sitting this one out because he, his eyes would just glaze <laughs> over as someone who wasn't even exposed to Civ Pro. This is like what we did for you for the sports episode, Laura. Uh, you're welcome, Andy. Um, <laughs> um no, CivPro is the notoriously a dry class, and the only reason I had fun with it was because my professor was an entertainment lawyer, a triple black belt Ooh, in mixed okay. martial arts, and just like, I don't, he was like a Chuck Norris type. Okay. Shout out to Professor Len Niehoff, who made CivPro interesting. That, wow, yeah. Um, but yes, CivPro, aka Civil Procedure, is exactly as boring as it sounds. Yeah, yeah. But it is very, very important, as we will very important get into here. And I, it makes me laugh when topics like legal topics like this are in the news because it's a chance for people who didn't go to law school to look at things like civil procedure and go, oh, wow, this is really boring. <laughs> yeah, but also really basic. Yeah. And it's like, how can someone forget this? Right. But you know, it it does happen. Even attorneys who have been in practice for a long time, seemingly get caught up in the moment and forget the order in which you're supposed to do things. So yeah, we're talking about it today because I think Donald Trump's legal team is going to need to go back to CivPro. Back to first year of law school. (laughs) After this stunt they pulled this week. So what happens? So in a late night filing on November 8th, Attorney Jesse Bennell, who has been involved in quite a few of these lawsuits. And this this Jesse Bennell is on Trump's team, right? Yes. Yep. Uh, asked federal judge Tanya Chutkin to grant an administrative stay of her ruling on whether the National Archives have to hand over documents relating to the events of January 6th at the Capitol. And so there. <laughs> so, yeah, this this motion was made to stay her ruling, but she hadn't actually issued a ruling yet. So what's a stay? So (laughs) essentially a stay is where, so a judge, you know, makes a decision on something and they say, okay, here's what's going to happen. And then in some cases, another party will say, okay, but wait, we want to appeal. We don't want the other side to do whatever it is we're trying to stop them from doing. And so sometimes a judge will grant a stay of their own decision saying, okay, you know, this is my decision, but other side, you can't do the thing quite yet because we have this appeal. But as we're going to get into the the rules of civil procedure, which dictate when and how parties in a lawsuit can or must do certain things are exceedingly complicated. But one thing I don't recall covering in CivPro is appealing a decision that hasn't been made yet. Uh, yeah, that is the one thing that I I mean, I didn't I, I was not fully awake throughout all of <laughs> CivPro, but I'm pretty sure even I caught that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. So let's get into the background more. What's what's the suit? What are the, what yeah. are the background facts? Yeah. So the, the underlying civil suit here was filed by Trump in October of this year seeking declaratory and injunctive relief under the presidential records act. So essentially he wants the courts to say, 
no presidential records for you and here's why to the House Select Committee that is investigating the January 6th riots or whatever you want to call them. So they they're asking for documents related to the Capitol assault, riot, whatever attack. Correct. And he's saying I have like executive privilege. Mm hmm. Exactly. OK. Yep. And so, yeah, the, the Presidential Records Act was passed in 1978 after, you know, everything blew up with President Nixon and it made presidential official records public property rather than private property like they were before and establishes a process for the public to access those records. Oh, yeah. Watergate will do that to you. I know, right? Like, (laughs) you ever want a big old flip-flop, do something like Watergate. And so the the House Select Committee argues that these records they're asking for fall squarely under the section of the act that reads, presidential records shall be made available to either House or Congress or to any committee or subcommittee thereof if such records contain information needed for the conduct of its business and that is not otherwise available. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Trump's lawyers, <laughs> despite filing for relief under the Presidential Records Act, they that's what they say in their brief, that they're asking for this executive privilege under the Presidential Records Act. They argued that the courts should basically ignore most of the statute and instead use the factors that are laid out in the Supreme Court's decision in Trump versus Mazars. Oh, geez. Which you probably remember. Yes. <laughs> okay, so Trump versus M- what I've always pronounced Mazars. Is it Mazars or Mazars? I, don't, I have no idea. M-A-Z-A-R-S. I actually don't know. And frankly, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's got Trump in it. Don't really care. Uh, Trump versus Mazars was a case about Trump's tax returns that mm-hmm. people might be familiar with. Um, and that's where the Supreme Court ruled that the issue of a congressional subpoena on a sitting president mm-hmm. does raise concerns over separation of powers. Right. So they made this balancing test to determine when Congress can use its subpoena power for a sitting president. And just to remind you that the documents at issue in that case were Trump's personal tax returns, mm-hmm. not any presidential records or even documents from the executive branch. It was yeah. documents implicating Trump in his personal capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's already, at least in my opinion, a bit of a stretch to be trying to use that standard in this case because the the documents at issue are completely different. Oh, yeah. But yeah, the the big issue going on here is just they're really uh, bungling up their civil procedures. In in a lot of different ways. Yeah, so for our listeners who didn't make the mistake of going to law school or if you're like me... (laughs) It's been a while since you thought about civil procedure. There's a couple different types of motions at play in this case. So first we have a motion for a preliminary injunction, which was the first thing that Trump's lawyers filed for. And these are used either before or during trial to prevent one party from suffering damage while the case is pending. Um, In the federal courts, preliminary injunctions are governed by Rule 65 of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. I'm just having flashbacks of like my book from that class and all the little flags on the side. 12B6. Yep, 12B6. So many numbers and letters that you had to memorize. (laughs) And then as soon as the final was done, I just like brain dumped all of it. Yeah, never again, (laughs) except now. Right. I know, I had to really brush up on it. So Rule 65 states that a judge can issue a temporary restraining order only if specific facts in an affidavit or verified complaint show that an immediate and irreparable injury, loss, or damage will result before the case can be fully litigated. Yeah, because they basically don't want to take action ahead of time unless 
there's something time sensitive. Exactly. Someone's going to get hurt unless if we wait for the full trial to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because as we've, I'm sure, talked about on this show many times that trial takes a long time, especially Mm -hmm. in high profile things. Sometimes this kind of thing can take a couple of years. And there's a lot of documents involved in this one. So it's just going to be a lot of parsing out. Yeah. And then in a 2008 Supreme Court case, uh, Winter versus Natural Resources Defense Council, they expanded this rule, creating a balancing test. Supreme Court loves these balancing tests. Loves, and especially <laughs> they love these four-factor balancing do. tests. Four is the magic number. Sometimes it's three, but it's like they love their four-factor balancing They really tests. do. What did this one have in it, Laura? <laughs> <laughs> so and under this balancing test, a plaintiff asking for a preliminary injunction has to establish that, one, they are likely to succeed on the merits of their claim. Two, they are likely to suffer, quote, irreparable harm. Like, specifically, that's what you have to show if the injunction is not granted. Three, the balance of equities tips in their favor. And four, an injunction is in the public interest. What is balance of equities tips in your favor? You know, Laura? That's a really good question that I don't really remember. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's, it, yeah, it's, it ties into the public interest thing where it's a, sort of a fairness question. Yeah, that, that's a little nebulous. But, yeah, uh, it is. From what I remember, at least, and I, I feel like the, the times that I studied preliminary injunctions the most was in IP law. Um, which comes up fairly often where one side is saying, hey, these people are, say, infringing on our trademark. We need you to put a stop to it because it's damaging our business while we sort of litigate whether we hold actually hold this strong of a mark. So that's when it came up the most in in my studies. And so a lot of times the equities question was sort of like, who's the little guy yeah. in the situation? Exactly. Yeah. In IT law, it like you're supposed to, for balance of equities, you're supposed to consider public policy mm-hmm. and hardship to the parties and right. convenience, which just seems like it's muddled up in the other four, in the mm-hmm. other three factors. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. not to dwell on that too long, but. No, it's a, it's a good question. You're, you're testing me and I I like it. (laughs) (laughs) So on November 2nd, Trump's legal team filed one of these motions arguing that the separation of powers and the Supreme Court's decision in Trump versus Mazars means we should ignore the statute, I guess. It's Mm -hmm. unclear, honestly. I read the complaint and I (laughs) I couldn't really figure out what they were asking for. And then before we could get the judge's ruling on it, they filed their emergency motion for injunction pending appeal. Wow. So exactly. Yeah. On top of the first one, yep. they before the judge could even touch that, they uh-huh. filed a second one. Yes. Okay. And this is where it gets really fun, in my opinion. This There's a few different names for this one. There's the emergency motion pending appeal. Um, some, sometimes it's called administrative injunction or an administrative stay. And this comes from Rule 62D, which states, and I'm paraphrasing here because it's a very long sentence. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, While an appeal is pending from an interlocutory order that refuses an injunction, the court may grant an injunction that is still a lot of words even (laughs) though you boiled it down what's an interlocutory order so yeah let's unpack that first an an interlocutory order is a decision made by the judge while a case is ongoing like the preliminary injunctions that we were just talking about second like we've already said that's something that you do while an appeal is pending not while your original motion is pending But what I found really fun about this is in their motion, Trump's lawyers state, they say, absent a court order instructing him not to, the archivist of the United States intends to comply with the congressional request and release the disputed documents this Friday. Because of these considerations, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, President Trump requests a ruling from this court on his motion for a preliminary injunction, and if applicable, this motion no later than Wednesday, November 10th. 
<laughs> this is the best part. Should no order be issued by that time, the plaintiff will interpret the court's silence as a refusal and take his appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Is that a threat? Exactly. Yeah. So this is interesting because one, they're talking about appealing a decision that hasn't been made yet. And two, they're basically saying if the judge took more than 24 hours to make a decision on their original motion that they were going to have to like speak to the manager. Okay. (laughs) I was definitely not at the top of my class in law school, but I am still pretty sure that's not how appeals work or timelines work. You don't get to set your own deadline line for when the judge gets no (laughs) especially when it comes to federal judges like you don't really I feel like it's pretty pretty high on the list of what not to do as a litigator is even if you're an ex-president okay yeah maybe don't try to boss the judge around yeah it's just not gonna end well and did it (laughs) (laughs) well no so about two hours later so all of this is happening late Monday night Judge Chutkin issued an order stating that the motion was denied And that, quote, this court has not yet entered any such interlocutory order or final judgment, and thus a request for relief under 62D is premature. Oh, that's so gracious of the judge. I would have been so much snarkier in my response. I would have lit them up if it were me. A couple days later, on November 10th, the judge issued her official ruling denying Trump's motion for an injunction. Okay, well, as is deserved, she nipped that in the bud and judge taught them their lesson. They made a mistake, but they learned from it, right? You would think. Wrong. No. (laughs) Trump's legal team immediately ran to daddy, like of divorced parents. (laughs) They said, I want to talk to your manager. (laughs) Mommy won't let me. So I'm (laughs) they're going to run to daddy DC circuit uh, to request an administrative injunction Mm -hmm. and asked for an expedited briefing schedule on the motion, basically telling the court of appeals to make this a priority. Yeah, which is interesting because a lot of this is being interpreted as a way to drag out this process so that it can't be completed before the midterm elections next year. And then that if more Republicans get into get into Congress, they'll just drop it. That's kind of the Mm -hmm. the prevailing theory. But surely they didn't take this any more seriously than the judge below, right? Not only (laughs) did the circuit court grant the injunction and grant the expedited schedule, they scheduled Trump's team for oral argument on November 30th. That's fast. That's very fast. So is this going to throw a big wrench into the Capitol riots trial? Um, I am hoping that the circuit court's theory is that if we just grant this fast and let them present their case really fast, then we can just quickly rule on it, deny it the same way that the court below did, Mm -hmm. and just get this out of our hair because this was only the first set of documents scheduled to be released, Mm -hmm. and the second set of archives documents isn't scheduled to release until November 26th. Mm -hmm. So assuming that theory is, you know, assuming (laughs) that a court of appeals can just, like, kick his case to the curbs Mm -hmm. pretty quickly like the trial judge did, it shouldn't delay things too badly. Mm Well, and theoretically, at least, if we do this expedited briefing schedule, we get it done here, then it, yeah, it just speeds up the whole process. And it's probably mm-hmm. inevitably going to end up on like the Supreme Court shadow docket. Shadow docket. Shadow docket. And so, I mean, yeah, theor- like, at least theoretically, asking for this expedited schedule doesn't really mesh with their apparent strategy for dragging out this process. Like now you're saying, oh, we want to do this faster. Okay, but in that case, you might lose faster. (laughs) Yeah, so hopefully that's what the courts are thinking. Yeah, it's a bold strategy. We'll see how it works out for them. Yeah, so this might be a small victory for Trump. He might have won the battle, but hopefully not the war. (laughs) It doesn't seem like it, no. 
Thanks for listening to Sidebar from Fine Laws Don't Judge Me. We'll be releasing these every other week between our full-length episodes. Please subscribe to, rate, and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if there's a topic you'd like to hear us cover, send us an email at finelawpodcasts at thompsonreuters.com.